And uh, Rick Warren leads a church called Saddleback Church. It's a church that he started uh, a couple of decades ago. Incredibly influential church. Uh, You know that you're an influential church when President Obama accepts an invitation for you to come and be interviewed live in your church on a Sunday, which he did uh, just uh, over a year ago. You know that you're an influential church leader when Oprah Winfrey tries to track you down to have you appear on her show. And uh, this is Rick Warren. Now, Rick Warren... as well as being uh, an incredibly influential church leader, he actually uh, is an author. And one of the books that he wrote, he wrote in December 2002, was its launch. It's a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, very, very clever title because it kind of taps into something that I think is inherently hardwired into each one of us. And... It's a great book, and to, to no surprise, actually went to number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. And here, just over 10 years later, it sold over 32 million copies worldwide. Which suggests to me that at a minimum, there's 32 million people asking the question, what's my purpose in life? And I would actually dare say the number is far higher than 32 million. And maybe... Some of you can be counted in that statistic. Maybe some of you find yourself or have found yourself asking that question. What's my purpose in life? And some people in asking that question find it a a pivotal moment for them to actually be propelled further towards their destiny, further towards their potential, towards their purpose, but actually for others, the, the pivot, the hinge swings the other way. That, that, that people I've seen asking this question, what's my purpose, end up in a state of paralysis, end up in a state of despair and hopelessness where they actually have concluded that they don't have a purpose, that God doesn't have something that he's actually positioned them on this planet to do. And it is a challenge. It is a challenge to get the hinge swinging in the right direction because, look, we only really see the movies made about the superstars. We only really read the books and the autobiographies and the biographies about the, the, these incredibly talented and powerful people. The, the, the news reports mostly focus on these incredible uh, people and, and their stories can seem so out of reach that you and I can crop ourselves out of the picture preclude ourselves from the notion that we would even have a purpose, that God could even possibly somehow use us. And if you've ever cropped yourself out of that picture, if you've ever actually resigned yourself in despair or hopelessness, thinking that I don't have a purpose in life, then I'm glad you're here this morning because I'm going to share a story about a guy that puts you in very good company. A guy who refused to believe that he had a purpose in life. He's a guy that went by the name Moses. Moses was living, he he was uh, part of God's chosen nation, to the nation of Israel at the time. And uh, he was living away from his people. His people at the time, however, were in captivity. They were subject to the rule of the Egyptians. And God wanted to change that. God wanted to set them free. He wanted his people, the Israelites, to be set free. And he started to shoulder tap Moses. 
Here's a little example of what that might have looked like. That's taken from the the current uh, blockbuster uh, ratings winning the Bible series. And uh, they've actually truncated that story quite dramatically. And I know it's for the sake of television and they couldn't uh, kind of work through the Bible line by line in a five-part miniseries for a cost-effective budget. Um, But they actually truncated that story because what we saw in that story, and I'm by no means poo-pooing the story, I think it's fantastic, but what, what we miss is actually... In real life, that whole exchange was an arm wrestle. That whole exchange, what we saw then was God saying to Moses, I want you to do something. And Moses saying, good to go, God. But in reality, there was a a prolonged exchange which looked like an arm wrestle. Moses trying to arm wrestle God. And as much as you might think, well, that's a pretty stupid thing to try and do. Act of futility, arm wrestle God. Well, you've done it and so have I. And Moses tried to do it. God was trying to hand him the ball. Hey, Moses, I want you 
to go and speak to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and I want you to say to him, God has sent me to ask you to let my people go, to let the Israelites go. And every time God tried to hand Moses the ball, Moses tried to pass block it. Say, I don't want it. And he would come up with excuse after excuse after excuse of why he wasn't the man for the job. As if God didn't know what he was doing when he was appointing Moses in the first place. And right down to the wire, the last part of the arm wrestle, the book, uh, the writer of the book of Exodus recorded it this way. Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. So, you know, this is God saying to Moses, I want you to go and speak to the most powerful ruler in the known world at the time. Go and speak to him. And Moses says, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words. Neither... Uh, before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? This is one of those God questions. It's rhetorical in case you missed it. And who makes some mute, some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? So get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. Remember that. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. This story of Moses and this epic arm wrestle with God, which, by the way, if you fast forward a little, God won, is instructive for those of you that don't think that God can use you, that don't think that God's got a purpose for you. You know, one of the takeaways from this story is God uses insecure people. You may have cropped yourself out of the picture because of your insecurities, but actually that makes you qualified. God uses insecure people. With the same response, with the same assurance, I'll be with you. You know, uh, for me, back in uh, 1921, it was my first day of school, and uh, I was there. And I'm, I'm, my, my natural wiring, my natural personality is, is highly introverted. And, uh, and I'm particularly shy. And at that stage of my life, I was very, very insecure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak up. I wouldn't raise my hand. I wouldn't do anything. And at the first day of school, uh, it was sort of midway through the morning. I needed to go to the toilet. I needed to do number ones, in case you're wondering. And, uh, and I didn't actually have the confidence. I couldn't bring myself... In class, the first day of school, I couldn't bring myself to raise my hand to ask permission to go to the toilet. So I literally sat in my seat on the first day of school. I sat in my seat and I wet my pants. That's, that's how terrified I was of actually, you know, just, just putting myself out there. Excuse me, miss, may I uh, go to the toilet, please? And I literally just sat there and, and, and wet my pants. And here's the thing. You might not think that's so unusual because, you know... Lots of kids maybe wet their pants on the first day of school. This was in year eight, not year one. This was actually my first day of high school. This is how insecure I was, how, how incredibly petrified I was of actually putting myself out in front of a group of people. And yet here I am, sitting in front of a group of people, speaking about God and God's word. And I can tell you, God uses insecure people. 
I, I can tell you, I've flown around the world. I've spoken at some of the largest churches in the world. God uses, I, this is the kid that couldn't even ask permission. Permission would have been granted. I wasn't asking permission to go and steal something. Can I go and steal the toilet? No, just use it. God uses insecure people. And your insecurity might not be with your personality type. The, the, the meta uh, reason of sharing that is not about introvert. It, it's actually to say, what's your insecurity? And don't think of it as any reason why God can't use you. In fact, it might be the very thing God gets you to do. And it might be the most absurd thing you could even think of. Why would God ask a kid that couldn't even put his hand up in class to eventually go and speak in front of groups of people? That's because God does stuff like that. With the promise... When he calls us, I'll go with you. And not only does God use insecure people, God also uses unlikely people. God wanted someone to go and speak to Pharaoh. Go and speak, go and, go and actually confront him with words. And he chooses a guy who actually had a speech impediment. It's, it's completely unlikely. He didn't choose a politician, a statesman, an ambassador, a gifted orator, a, an FBI negotiator. He chose a guy that, 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 that couldn't even put a sentence together. It's unlikely. But being unlikely didn't crop Moses out of the picture. It actually positioned him right in the picture. Because in these circumstances, with God shoulder-tapping insecure people, shoulder-tapping unlikely people, with the promise that when he sends us to do something, he promises that he will go with us, because of our insecurities, because we're unlikely, he gets the credit. Superstars, when they do something great, we sit back and we go, yeah, all right. Big whoop. We expect that. But when insecure, unlikely people get used by God to do incredible things, we think, wow, what's really going on here? God gets the credit. God gets the glory. Now, last week, a uh, girl visited here at Elevate for the first time. And uh, we were chatting afterwards, just met her. And a pretty switched on chick. And she says, you know, so you lead, lead the church here? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, um, so what, what sort of qualifications do you need to, to lead a church? She asked me. And I said, well, it's, it's interesting because I've often sort of had that conversation going on in my brain. Uh, there's actually a website, the Christian version of seek.com.au. It's called christianjobs.com.au. And there's a section there uh, for, for, for church leadership positions. And uh, you can go on there, I'm not suggesting you need to, but just hypothetically, you can go on there and there'll be churches advertising, you know, for a new senior leader or new this and that. And as, you know, as per any professional uh, job site, uh, seeking site, it'll tell you what the qualifications or the requirements for the position are. And they're, they're all pretty standard, you know, from one church to the next. It's kind of a, it's kind of a pretty standard list. Um, typically... What you'll see on there is you'll see uh, they, they require you to uh, be married. Uh, in, in, yeah, be married in many cases. Um, have had at least five years church leadership experience. Um, preferably have children. And, uh, and preferably have some sort of minimum bachelor level, but preferably honors, masters, maybe even doctorate of kind of theology, Bible college kind of thing. And uh, that's hilarious to me. The reason that's hilarious to me is because Jesus would not have been qualified for any one of those four criteria. 
So had Jesus sent in his CV at the age of 30 saying, well, you know, I'm only just getting started out, but maybe if you can give me a break, I mean, how is a person supposed to get experience if no one will give them a go? Didn't really go to Bible college. I just sort of hung around with God for like, you know, eternity up to now. But I mean, wasn't any bachelor's, uh, you know, certificate at the end of that. And as for the married with children bit, yeah, not really part of the plan. And yet, despite that, God used Jesus. Because the things that we look at, the things that we hold valuable, is not always the same things that God holds valuable. The qualifications and the criteria and the hoops and the boxes that we think need to be ticked in our own lives before God can use us aren't always the same boxes that he is looking to be ticked. God sees stuff in us. God sees stuff in you. God sees stuff in insecure people that they don't see them themselves. God sees potential and opportunities in unlikely people that, are, that, they don't, that they don't see in themselves. God uses insecure and unlikely people. But when he sends you, he sends you with the promise, I will go with you. He doesn't send you to set you up for failure and embarrassment. But there's a catch. Yeah, it's always a catch with you, Mark. Well, it's actually not a catch with me. It's a catch with God. The catch is, if you're someone who's insecure and you've cropped yourself out of the picture of God using you, if you think you're unlikely and you're not qualified, but maybe, just maybe, right now, maybe, you're open to the, the notion that maybe God can use you. Maybe if God's sending you somewhere, maybe if he's calling you to be something and do something and he's, going, and he's sending you with the promise that he'll go with you, maybe you're just willing to play that. Maybe you're just willing to accept the ball and you're not going to pass block that. All right. There's a catch and the catch is simply this. You have to step out to find out. This isn't a classroom exam situation. Where you go and the smartest person wins. The person with the most information wins. Smart Christians aren't always the most mature Christians. In fact, oftentimes they're the most judgmental, religious and legalistic Christians, by the way. Great at winning Bible trivia pursuit. Hopeless at actually following God. Let's get good at following God. But one of the things, if you think that God can't use you, but you maybe, just maybe are willing to give it a shot. The only thing I can tell you is you have to step out to find out. And if you don't step out, it's just theory. It's just theory. But this is where the real challenge lies. I was reading an article in Forbes magazine last week and just put up this great uh, illustration of, I guess, a concept that I've had, but it said it better than I've thought it. And so I wanted to play with that a little bit this morning. There's a place that a lot of people live called the comfort zone. You ever heard of that expression, the comfort zone? I think most of us would have heard of that expression. This is actually a residential area for a lot of people. This is actually where they can be found 24-7. Send the mail there. They'll be waiting at the letterbox inside their comfort zone. This comfort zone, it's kind of, it's kind of analogous to our current level of faith or our current measure of faith. Because, you know, within this comfort zone, we, we've got enough faith to just to keep things moving. 
Moving like, you know, Groundhog Day, not moving forward, right? We've got that measure of faith. You know, we know the sun's going to rise in the morning and set in the evening, and we kind of be able to get by in the, in, in the bits in between. Our current measure of faith, our comfort zone. This is like the characteristics of a comfort zone is a place where you feel in control, where everything is familiar, where there's no need to think, and where there's no need, certainly, to take any risks. The problem is, too many people in this comfort zone are waiting for God to move when he's actually waiting for them to move. And so they sit on their hands. The downside of living in the comfort zone is is there's no growth in the comfort zone. I actually call it the death zone. There's no growth in there. But you won't find out if God's going to go with you beyond your comfort zone, except for one thing. You have to step out to find out. See, when God calls us to do something beyond our comfort zone, there's a required measure of faith beyond our comfort zone. We've got our current measure of faith. When he calls us to go beyond our comfort zone, there's now a required measure of faith, something we're going to have to actually bridge out to. And in my observation, one of the challenges is that this required measure of faith isn't always directly equatable with people's desired measure of faith. That yes, we know God's calling us to a new level. God's calling us to do something beyond our comfort zone. It will require a greater measure of faith. But some people are going to pass block that. They don't have that desired measure of faith. And here's why. Here in my observation is why. Because... Too many people have concluded that this area beyond our comfort zone, this article in Forbes magazine called it the terror zone. And we hate the terror zone. That that, that to step out from our comfort zone is like going on the roller coaster blindfolded. It's this terrifying experience where we're completely out of our control. Everything is unfamiliar. It's Hugely overwhelming. And because when we look over the fence of our comfort zone, all we see is terror. Too many people just shriek and shrink back and are paralyzed and, and, and then end up with destination disease. Just camping out, huddling. No, I'm not going to look over that fence again. Scary stuff. And live 24-7, 365 in their comfort zone. But what if there was another zone? What if there was a third place, a third option? What if somewhere between our comfort zone and the terror zone was was a place that still required a greater measure of faith, but wasn't going to leave us paralyzed? And I really like, again, just borrowing from this article from Forbes magazine, they called it the courage zone. That, that between our comfort zone and the terror zone is a zone that requires a greater measure of faith, requires courage, but it's in that space that we see the growth. It's in that space. This shouldn't be a surprise if you've ever been to the gym and... Uh, started lifting weights or if you've ever trained for the city to surf or something. 
let's just say the, the city to surf. Okay, 25th of August, city to surf, 12 kilometers from Perth to the, to the surf. I guess you already, already knew that. Um, if, you've only, it's 12, if you've only ever walked around your block with the dog, stopping to poop scoop every three minutes, that's not going to be enough training for you to be competitive in the city to surf. That's probably not even going to be enough training for you to survive the city to surf, okay? There's a principle in exercise physiology called the overload principle. That actually in order to make gains, to make improvements, you have to actually overload yourself. If you go to the gym and you only ever lift the granny weights, and by the way, I'm not talking to grannies, I'm talking to people like me. If I only ever go and lift the granny weights, I'm not actually going to build bigger muscles. I actually have to go beyond and lift weights that are uncomfortable for me to lift. And actually the gains are made in the last couple of of attempts of lifting where I can barely actually do it. That's actually where the the improvements are made. If I stay within the comfort zone, I could have done 12, but I only did nine. I'm going to walk out five years later. The before and after photos will be indistinguishable. For me, I I compete in triathlon. Uh, I'm I'm training for for my next race in November. And and every Saturday, I go for a long ride. I'm not going to talk about yesterday's ride. It was an absolute disaster. But every Saturday, I go for a long ride. And what I have to do is I have to add some, some, some distance and or intensity to that ride every Saturday. If I just want to do exactly the same ride at exactly the same course, at exactly the same pace, for exactly the same duration, I won't actually improve. If I stay in my comfort zone, I won't actually improve. It's actually stepping out into that courage zone or that growth zone is where we experience the benefits. I remember for me, uh, back in 1996, I was working in a a corporate uh, setting and I really felt God calling me to go to Bible college. And so I quit my job, my comfort zone. I had a great job, paid obscene amounts of money, company car, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I, but I was in my comfort zone. Okay. I was, you know, making enough money to live comfortably, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I felt God calling me to take a step of faith and, and, and enter my courage zone where I had to quit my job and go to Bible college. Now this put my parents in the terror zone. Okay. (laughs) What are you going to live on? What are you going to do when you finish Bible college? And I had no answers for them. All right. So, so, but for me, it wasn't a step into the terror zone. It was a step into the courage zone. And I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today, which is for me, I, I have the greatest uh, job on the planet. I'm doing what I know God's called me to do. And uh, that wouldn't have happened if I'd stayed in my comfort zone and just kept on doing what I knew to do. God calls us here into our courage zone a lot. A lot. Not, God's call into the courage zone, he calls us there a lot. You know, by the way, I'll actually, might as well come clean with you. He also occasionally calls us into the terror zone. So, so don't, don't liquid paper that bit out. Some of you don't even know what liquid paper is. Don't liquid paper that bit out. Don't delete the pixels, you under 30-year-olds. God does actually still occasionally call us into the terror zone, but he very rarely calls us to live there. All right? So I want you to let, let you know that it will happen. Don't think if occasionally you're going to be faced with a terror zone, oh, that mustn't be God, that must be the devil. Sometimes it's God putting you to an extreme test of faith. 
right? But he will very regularly call you into the courage zone because he doesn't want you to stagnate. I read a quote last week. If you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you've started to rot. God might call us into the courage zone in one area of our life at a time. Because he's not setting us up for a loss. Okay, that might be all our, our faith can stretch out to just in one area of our life. Cool. Sometimes God wants you to put your big boy pants on and he might call you to stretch out into the courage zone in multiple areas of your life. Where you just back up to the edge of the fence into the terror zone. But when God promises, when God calls us to move from our comfort zone to the courage zone or move from the comfort zone to the terror zone or move from our comfort zone through the courage zone and, and dip our toes in the edge of the terror, when he, when he calls us, I'm not talking about being reckless. Reckless is when we do stupid things that God didn't call us to do, right? They're not steps of faith. They're steps of stupidity. They're steps of unwise people. But wise people, God will call them to do things that don't make sense to everyone around them. But when God calls us, when God calls us to go out of our comfort zone, he promises that he will go with us. But you know what? You have to step out to find out. Funny thing about the Moses story is actually Moses could have won the arm wrestle. Well, actually not won. He could have just tapped out. Right? God had called him to do something, step out of his comfort zone, an insecure, unlikely guy. He kept pushing back. God kept pushing back. He kept pushing back. God kept pushing back. Eventually Moses gave in and said, all right, all right. I'll do it. I trust that you go with me. And guess what? Moses then stepped out and found out that God went with him. But actually, Moses could have circumvented God using him in that process by saying, you know what, God? I'm not so sure that you're going to go with me. So you know what? I'm not going to step out. And because he doesn't step out, he didn't find out. But you know what? We wouldn't have read about him. He wouldn't have been on the TV program. Now, God may have still achieved God's plans and purposes by going to the next person in the line. But wouldn't it be just so sad if when we met God face to face, he shows us this slideshow of all the things that we could have done if only we'd stepped out. All the things we would have found out that he wanted to use us. If only we'd, if only we'd but we went, nah. tapping out, God, loving the comfort zone right now. Hand me another one of those drinks with the umbrellas. Many petty, please. It's good stuff. You know, some of you, uh, we prayed for you this morning. Team members, we gather together every Sunday morning and we pray. And some of you, we pray for you specifically if you've never actually 
made a decision to follow Jesus. We've been talking about that in different threads and we've been singing about that and talking about different things. For some of you, the thing that you need to step out of is you need to step out of your situation of self-reliance, step out of your situation of independence and actually put your trust in God. Actually bridge across to, to, to say to him, you know what, I want to have a relationship with you. And the great thing about that is he doesn't expect us to build the bridge. He actually first built the bridge in our direction, but we have to walk across it. We have to step out to find out, to find out if he's real, to find out if we, if we can have a relationship with him. Some of you have never done that. We prayed for you this morning. We prayed that you would take that step today. If you've never taken a step towards God to say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. And I'm shifting gears a little bit here. But I'm specifically, we're just going to finish up in a minute or two, specifically wanting to give an opportunity to those of you who have never actually made your own personal decision to have a relationship with God. We want to give you that opportunity right now. And all we're going to do, I just want you in a moment, for those of you that need to make that step, that that's your step out of your comfort zone, I want you to put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down just quickly. You're not really putting your hand up to me. You're putting your hand up to God saying, God, yeah, you know what? I want to actually have that relationship with you. And I'm going to step out to find out if that's even possible. When I see your hand, I'll ask you to put it down. We're just going to take a moment or two and then we're going to pray. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to pray just all together. Nothing weird. We're not going to uh, stacks on or anything. That'd be pretty cool, hey? Stacks on prayer. Not if you're at the bottom. So, so, you know, for those of you, this is, your, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. You've never actually had that relationship with God. You need to step out this morning. How about you just slip your hand up right now? And you're saying, God, you know what? That's me. I need to have that relationship with you. Just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. Just uh, quickly slip your hand up. We don't want to miss anybody. We're not going to spend too long here doing this this morning. Apparently the Eagles are playing. But, you know, then again, no one cares. Essendon, Ryan, come on, you know that. Just leave your hand up real quickly. Okay. Guys, uh, next week, Louis mentioned we're talking about the future uncovered. And I'm just uh, really excited about the opportunity to share with you some of our next 12 months and what God's calling us to focus on. We're very focused as a church. We don't like cyber's energy. We like to be good stewards of doing what God's called us to do. We're not copy and pasting anyone else's model. Become like the church up the road, around the corner, over the hills, far away. And I want you to be here, come with faith and a sense of expectancy because God, part of his plans and purposes for you is your part to play as Elevate Church for creating the future, building the future, and being used by him to see his church grow. So be here for that. Now, right now, we've got some delicious coffee. No one's told me what it is, but Brett, don't tell me. I'm going to do a blind taste. Hmm. I'm going to say Peruvian grace. Yes! Peruvian grace. See, and Brett knows that I didn't know that. I assumed it was just left over from last week, and I was correct. So, enjoy.